Congratulations to Baker Mayfield for playing football, bowl, subdivision, tackle football better than everybody else in 2017. The OU quarterback is now officially the Heisman Trophy winner. And as we've been saying here on West of Everest for the better part of three to four months now, Mayfield is more than deserving of the honor. This past Saturday was great for Mayfield. It was great for the Oklahoma football program. And sure, it was great for all the Sooners fans out there who love number six. But now it's time to move on. Now it's time to put all the focus on the most important thing, which is the next game, the Rose Bowl, a college football playoff national semifinal against Georgia. Baker Mayfield has said it over and over again. He came back to Oklahoma this season to win a national championship, and he and the Sooners are two wins away from completing their objective. Sure, the Heisman Trophy is nice, but a crystal-slash-gold football, whatever that trophy is nowadays, is even better. And honestly, it's not even about the trophy. It's about earning the grandest prize in all of college football, being the only team left standing at the end of the year. The journey began in August, and 13 games later, Georgia is now the next team in the way of OU's ultimate goal. The Sooners have got 18 more days left to prepare for the Dogs, and when a national championship is on the line, every second, every minute, every hour, and every day counts. Make no mistake, the Rose Bowl will be won in the film room, in the weight room, and on the practice field. Come January 1st, we'll find out which team best utilized the next 18 days. We'll find out which team truly wants it more. I hope it's the Sooners. I'm Lee Benson, and this is West of Everest. I am proud to announce that this year's Heisman Trophy winner is Baker Mayfield of the University of Oklahoma. Baker Mayfield wins the Heisman Trophy in a landslide over Bryce Love and Lamar Jackson. 732 first place votes and 86% of the total possible points. Hi everyone, welcome into West of Everest. Once again, I am Lee Benson. The Heisman Trophy presentation is in the books and now it's time to get back to talking about the upcoming OU Georgia game. And that's exactly what we will do here on the show today. But before I bring in Grant, First, I want to remind you that West of Everest is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you to everybody who's been listening. The show has grown immensely over the past month or so, and we appreciate all of all of you who've dropped in to listen to Grant and I talk OU football. If you've got a second, please leave us a rating and or a review on iTunes and go ahead and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. The more people who subscribe, the better the show does in the iTunes rankings. So far, we've accumulated a perfect five-star rating on iTunes, and that's all because of you. Thanks for the feedback. And a reminder as well, if you've got a question that you'd like Grant or I to answer on the show, it can be about anything you want it to be about, email us at westofeverest at gmail.com. Again, that is westofeverest at gmail.com. And I'll put that email address as well in the episode notes. So without further ado, let's bring in Grant. Grant, how are you doing today? Lee, I'm doing well today. I'm doing well. Every day is a good day after Baker Mayfield wins the Heisman. Yeah, I guess. I suppose. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that Oklahoma's back at practice, getting on the practice field and um, getting ready for Georgia. And uh, one more note before we move on to the, the meat of the podcast. Just want to thank all of you for bearing with us for this next week or two. We know that the episode schedule is a bit different 
this week, just one episode. So we hope you enjoy this one episode. We've packed it with a lot of stuff. So it's going to be worth it. It's only going to be one a week, but it's going to be worth it. So first off, though, here's what I want to bring up. I want to bring up OU and the fact that they have eight more days until the Rose Bowl. Okay. Now, a 18 reminder. more days. Did I say eight? I you said, said you said I wish it was eight more days. That'd 18. be great. That would mean that. I think that would also mean today would be Christmas Eve if it was eight more days. <laughs> well, thanks for the correction. Eighteen and, more days. And seeing as that I'm not watching the Hawaii Bowl right now, it's obviously not Christmas Eve. Ah, yes, yes. A joke only a avid college football fan would understand at this time of the year. Here's a reminder: Grant and I will be saving our massive OU Georgia breakdown for closer to game time. Today, though, we've got a few nuggets of info for you three or so weeks out from the game. First off, I want to give out some listener stats. And by the way, we will have a listener question coming up later on in the show. It's actually more of a listener comment, so stay tuned for that. But listener stats. I looked up all the numbers from since this show began back on August 28th. And Grant, I want you to guess which episode do you think has been the most listened to so far? I would guess the uh, the one after Bedlam, the, the the one after the Bedlam game. So it had been the, the Thursday show or the Monday show after Bedlam. That would be my guess. Actually, no. Uh, it is that's not even in the. Hold on. When was bed? When was Bedlam? Bedlam November fourth. Was... I think was the day of Bedlam. So okay. So that episode that you're referencing came out on november the 6th that's actually the third most listened to show the the post bedlam show the most listened to show actually i'll give you the the second most listened to show second most listened to actually i take that back (laughs) i'm sorry i'm all over the place the bedlam show that you just referenced is actually number two so you're close that was the what's number three listened to I didn't write down number three. <laughs> you have got to be freaking kidding me. I just wrote down number one and number two. I had this entire monologue going in my head, like as you were talking. You, you about, st- no, about the third ranked one? About the, and I was like, oh yeah. I, I, in my head, I was thinking, you better say a top three now because the, the listeners are going to be pissed if you don't have a top three now. You can't just, you can't just say the number three and number one. Uh, whatever, keep going. Yeah, I, it's I, amateur yeah, hour I, over I here. I messed that up. I messed that up. I, I just have the top two. So. You got the second listen to second most listened to show. The most listened to episode of West of Everest came recently on December the fourth, episode twenty nine, entitled "Titled After Another Big Win, The Sooners Come Up Roses." So basically, the post Big Twelve title and post college football playoff final ranking show. That is our most listened to episode, which is pretty impressive because it's it's still fairly new and. That's the episode that's been downloaded the most, been listened to the most. So, thought that was pretty interesting. That's awesome. That means we're we're just continuing to just climb up, climb up those uh, those rankings. So now more listener stats. Which cities listen to West of Everest the most? I've got the top five on this one. So not the top two. I've got the top five, and only one of the cities is outside of Oklahoma. So. This is going to be more guessing for you, Grant. Oh, great. I'm sure this is just great radio or podcasting or whatever it is. Well, the um, listeners can guess at home as they're listening. So think of the top five. What do you think is the top five cities that listen to West of Everest? I mean, One I, of the cities is outside of Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, top five. So let's see. I, I'd assume number one is Oklahoma City, I would guess. That is correct. You got uh, number one. Nailed it. Tulsa. 
Tulsa is not on it. Tulsa is not in the top five, but a city near Tulsa is in the top five. Uh, Broken Arrow is that near Tulsa? It is near Tulsa. I'll, I'll give you this one. It's it's Jinx. Jinx, Oklahoma is actually fifth on the list. All right. Um, so you've got Jinx number five. You've got Oklahoma City number one. There's three more, and you know one of the cities is not in Oklahoma. All right. There's no way I'm going to get the other two. I'm going to guess the one outside of Oklahoma is Wichita, Kansas. Nope. It is a city in Texas, actually. So Dallas, then. Nope, not Dallas. I would have guessed Dallas, too, but it's not Dallas. College Station? (laughs) I don't have have that many friends that want to listen to OU football in College Station. Houston. Houston. It is Houston. Houston's actually the second most listened to city. So it goes Oklahoma City, then Houston. So a big contingent of Houston West of Everest fans. That's pretty cool. That is cool. H-Town. I think that's what they call it, right? H-Town, yep. And so you, there's two more left, and honestly, they're they're two pretty easy ones, and they're two cities that are pretty close to Oklahoma City. Um, Edmond? Edmond's one of them, yes. Um, more. <laughs> or is it Come Norman? On. Is it Norman? It's Norman. Oh, it's okay. Norman, yeah, where Oklahoma is located, yes. <laughs> well, at least people, people in Norman are actually listening to the show. That's good. Yes. So it goes Oklahoma City 1, Houston 2, Norman 3, Edmond 4, Jinx 5, the top five most listened to cities. And lastly, this is interesting to me. I We got to bring this up. It's not just United States who listens to West of Everest, Grant. Other countries listen to the show as well. Obviously, the United States is, is the top country, but I have the top three countries outside of the United States who listen to the show. Care to guess any of these? Yeah, I got, I got, I got three off the top of my head. Here we go: Singapore, no; Canada, nope; Mexico, nope. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) So number three, France. Big contingent in in Paris, apparently that that love Oklahoma football. Uh, It's just the, it's just this country of France. Number two is Germany. And number one, the the UK, the United Kingdom. I I is, I just had to stop myself there. I almost did a really bad British accent. I was gonna say yeah. something. I was I was gonna say something with like governor at the end of it, but I decided not to. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we move on to actual football stuff, which I'm sure the listeners are just probably fast forwarding right now to it. One last note. This is the this shocked me. I gave you the top three countries that listen to West of Everest. Get this, though, 28 different countries or people in 28 different countries have listened to at least one episode of the show, Grant. 28 different countries. That's interesting. That's incredible. It makes me wonder how many of those people are just people like who just who have just like mistakenly stumbled onto the show. Oh, yeah. All of them probably had has to be all of them. Although, I mean, the description is right in the title. I mean, actually, the title of the show is West of Everest, an Oklahoma football podcast. I wonder how many people. Yeah, I I guess you could make the argument that uh, football is what soccer is called in Europe, so maybe that that could be part of it. In fact, I would I would say that's probably the easiest explanation. Um, but you never know. There so could people j- in Europe are looking looking for um, some University of Oklahoma soccer talk. But also, I mean, there's, I mean, I don't know. There's there's obviously OU fans that are in Europe right now. And so is it really that outlandish yeah. to think that 
there's one of them who has heard our show and is maybe traveling Europe right now and wanted to listen while they're in Europe. That is what I'm just going to go with right now because it makes me feel better. I think that's probably what's going on. Let's talk. Let's talk about the current events of Oklahoma football. A couple of things have happened this week. Yeah, a lot of awards have come out. Yeah, a lot of a lot of all American teams. You know, whatever, that's fine. The big story of the week: Baker Mayfield wins the Heisman Trophy. I've already given a little bit of my. Uh, I haven't given many thoughts yet. My opening take was more about Oklahoma getting ready for the bowl game. So, Grant Mayfield wins the Heisman Trophy. Do you have any thoughts on Mayfield finally getting that stiff arm statue? Uh, it just it was a long time coming. I. I it was one of those things coming into this year. I think everyone sort of envisioned him, or at least you know every one of our persuasion uh, Sooner fans. I think we, I think all of us, kind of assumed in our head that he was the favorite. Um, but actually seeing it happen was just kind of a, a validation of I think the last three years. And um, I, I, I think I, I think it's probably hard for outside fan bases to understand how much Baker Mayfield means to this program and everyone. He's he. It can be argued that he brought this program back from the dead, even though you know that's that's being very hyperbolic. Uh, still, uh, the program was in a, was in a very weird time when he became the starting quarterback, and and you know here we are now. So it was just nice to see him, you know, uh, see him be up there. And I, I, I'm really glad that the very the first people that he thanked were his teammates, his offensive line. He named his offensive line by name, all of them. Um, you you know his players or the you know the guys who play with him. You know they love that. Um, so I, I think that was just really nice to see it. It was just, it, it was a really nice moment for the program. And, and I think, um, all of us, we've watched him play the last three years and it just felt right. And also I do want to push back on something you said. I care about the all American teams. I, I mean, I, oh, I do. Okay. I'm, we, this is college football. We're college football fans. We like the all America teams. It's pretty cool that this was the first year since 2003, Lee, that OU had, um, had three or more. Uh, consensus All-Americans. I mean, that's great. I mean, good for those guys. I mean, I made it pretty clear on this show that I care more about the team stuff than I care about individual awards. So, yeah, those All-Americans, Lee. That's really. I mean, that's how you sell a program, or it's one of the reason, or one of the ways that you can sell a program. So, just you know, from there, I find it interesting. But also, it's just tradition in college football is cool, and and you know, when your when your program has a lot of all All-Americans, it's always nice to add more to the list. And I think it's especially cool that, you know, they had, they had three consensus all Americans and I would assume uh, Baker Mayfield and, and Orlando Brown, they'll probably be unanimous all Americans. So I, I just think it's cool. And I think college football fans listening to a college football podcast, come on, I, I, I care about all Americans and I think other people do too. All right. Well, that makes, uh, you know, that makes one of us. Uh, I, I agree that, uh, I did like also how Mayfield thanked his offensive line by name, each individual name, and that stuff is really important to me as somebody who is watching a player like Baker Mayfield and kind of analyzing how he how he looks at the game and how, how he's a, a leader amongst his teammates. That stuff is really important that he actually named them all off by name because, one, Mayfield truly understands how important those guys are, and he wouldn't be able to do a lot of the things that he does without those guys playing really well. And two, it shows me that Mayfield realizes that the offensive line doesn't get a whole lot of recognition in general. Mainly, they don't get their names called out a lot like all the skill position guys do. So at the Heisman ceremony, saying all of those guys' names is big time for them. And it was huge for them, and I'm sure they really appreciated it. Plus, Baker 
Then he thanked all of his other offensive guys, and he thanked his defensive guys, and Baker even thanked the scout team in his speech. So he he was very mindful of all the people that have helped him get to where he's, he's gotten to. And, of course, he thanked Bob Stoops for welcoming Mayfield into the program. But then he thanked Stoops mostly for hiring Lincoln Riley, and at that point, that's when it kind of got a little bit, of, bit emotional. You saw Lincoln Riley looking on, just looked like a – like a proud pop, even though also Mayfield's dad and mom were in the in the crowd as well, and and they were tearing up. So I mean, that was a pretty moving thing. I mean, it was nice, and I mean, I think you know all people can somewhat relate to a moment like that. Yeah, he's the best player in college football, but that doesn't mean that things weren't difficult for him growing up. I mean, he's had to work really hard, and and um, you know we can all kind of relate to, to seeing all of our hard work kind of paying off in this way and getting the, you know, the, the most prestigious award in all of sports. And although Baker Mayfield wants a national championship trophy, even more than this, it's just the, the whole moment obviously was, was a big deal to him, especially having been there last year too. And, and uh, so that was pretty nice to see all that. It was, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. And, and I do, I, I do want to mention too, just because I thought this was interesting and, and I think it does, you know, give us give us a wider look of of just kind of how the college football landscape and how you know how this is all changing. But Saturday night was the the lowest rated Heisman presentation ever, um, and and I just thought that was kind of a, a an interesting sort of anecdote for there, especially because um, I, I watching watching the Heisman Trophy presentation, I thought it was it, it, at least the last 25 minutes of it, it just kind of felt like it was something that was made primarily for Sooner fans. Um, and I, it just it, it didn't really surprise me that it was uh, that it was the lowest rated ever just because it was a the last 25 minutes was was just a Baker Mayfield coronation. And like I said, just a, just a culmination of the three years uh, that this program has been through. And this has been a very I think this has been a very emotional three years for the program and for the fan base, a lot of stuff has happened. Um, and it was just, I, I like how you bring up Lincoln Riley there because I, I think that moment uh, where, where, where Baker Mayfield brought that up, um, I, I think for a lot of Oklahoma fans, I think that was just a special moment. And I know it's just football and it's, it's whatever, but this is something that, that means a lot to all of us. You know, I don't think you'd be listening to this podcast if it didn't. Um, and at least for me personally, it was nice to see that moment between Baker and, and Lincoln Riley during that speech. It was just, it was a cool moment, especially after what's happened the last three years. And two final thoughts on Mayfield's Heisman Trophy speech and just the entire show in general. It really seemed like Baker Mayfield, Bryce Love, and Lamar Jackson are, are good buddies. Is that just me? I mean, like, we saw pictures of all three of those guys all week on social media and what, hanging out, and like Mayfield shouted both those guys out during his his speech. I, to me, it just really seemed like those three guys were like friends. Like they'd be friends like after leaving New York City. I, maybe that's always what happens with the Heisman Trophy thing because they're always hanging out together. But it seemed like maybe more so than usual. Those guys were buddies, and then finally, the speech that. Mayfield gave made it overwhelmingly clear that this guy loves Oklahoma. I mean, he loves his school. And as a supporter of the Sooners, I feel very fortunate to have had a chance to watch this guy play football for the Crimson and Cream. And I'm looking forward to one more game and hopefully two more games of Baker Mayfield wearing that Oklahoma uniform. One other piece of news that's worth mentioning from uh, from last week. 
following up on the Rodney Anderson situation. Anderson passed a three-hour-long polygraph test last week, according to his attorney. Now, polygraph tests are inadmissible in court, so this development doesn't really mean anything legally from what I understand, but it is a net positive for Rodney Anderson. Just public opinion. I realize that it was his attorney that set it all up, and, and he he passed. I mean, it, it, they wouldn't announce this if he didn't pass, but it is, I think, a positive just as far as uh, public opinion. And a hearing before a judge is scheduled for this upcoming Monday, the 18th. As far as we know, Anderson's still with the Sooners. He has not been charged with a crime, and the Norman Police Department is investigating the situation. That's all we know right now, unless you know anything that I don't know, Grant. I, I don't know anything. I, I'm not in Oklahoma, so I, I, I feel like you'd probably be a little more qualified to comment on that than I am. I'm just... I basically I, I get all my inside info from from you, so I mean I I don't know. Well, that's uh, that's all I know. That's all I know about it. That's all my fellow reporters at News Nine know about it. And so we will just kind of wait and see what happens in this case. So uh, at this point, nothing has come out since the polygraph news came out. All right, let's talk Oklahoma, Georgia, and once again our major massive breakdown will come later on but i gotta say i've watched the georgia missouri game so i'll have a lot of thoughts on that coming up here actually i have a i have a ton of thoughts on it but first i want to turn it over to grant what kind of thoughts do you have on the rose bowl right now that uh, are different or new since the last time we had a podcast yeah i i've, I've been able to watch georgia a little bit more I, i've watched um a couple uh, full games from them. So I, I went back and I, I rewatched their game against Notre Dame earlier this year. I watched the first half of that game against Missouri. Um, I also uh, watched a little bit of their game against Mississippi state, I believe. And, and so, so I've just been looking at them a lot more and I'm, I, I, I I'm going to have uh, much more thorough th- uh, thoughts as, as we get closer to the game. Um, I haven't really made any notes. These are most, mostly just mental notes. Um, but I'll, I'll just tell the audience what I told you right before we got on. The more I watch of them, the more convinced I am that that I think uh, OU offensively is is, is probably going to be able to do what they've done all year, uh, moving the ball. And on the flip side, I, I'm a little more, I'm a little less confident in OU's defense. I think I think Georgia might be able to do whatever they want uh, against the OU defense as well. So I'm. I, that could change as we go on. Of course, I, I know there's lots of things that I, I might just be overthinking it. It, it. it could be just as easy as Baker Mayfield versus Jake Fromm. Which one are you going to take? Which, you know, is a pretty obvious you know, who you would take there. So I might be overthinking it. But, you know, obviously when we have a month before the game, you're going to turn over every single rock and, you know, you're going to look everywhere. So um, I, I would assume by the time we get to game time, I probably will have watched all 13 of Georgia's games, I, I would guess. Unless they, you know, except for an FCS team they played or whatnot. But, you know, this is a good team, a very good team that OU is going to play. Um, the one thing that I want to make clear of, I do not do not undersell this Georgia offense at all. This offense is very good. Uh, they're just just as good as maybe not the best offenses they've faced, like, you know, uh, with against like Oklahoma State and whatnot. But this is a team that that has a lot of really good players. Uh, they are. Um, I, I think they are decidedly the second best offense in the playoff field. I think they're significantly better on offense than Alabama and Clemson. Um, so we'll see. I, there's we still got two and a half weeks to go, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm still feeling fairly confident. But um, any sort of you know thought 
that OU is just going to show up and roll over Georgia. I think that needs to stop right now. That's certainly not going to happen. This is this is a very talented, very good team they're about to play. Uh, well, I you know I am not ready to back off of my claim that Oklahoma should win this game convincingly. Granted, I have not watched all of all the film. I have though watched uh, Georgia Missouri, and the reason I uh, let me start with this. I have I have tons of tons to say about this game, I, and I want to start with Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm, the quarterback of Georgia against Missouri. That game happened in October. It was in Athens, and Jake Fromm was fantastic in that game. He was eighteen to twenty six, three hundred and twenty six yards, two touchdowns. Did have a really bad interception in the first quarter that set up a Missouri touchdown. But aside from that throw, he was great. Specifically in the first quarter in that game. And specifically on third down. Check out these numbers on third down in the first quarter for Jake Fromm against Missouri. Fromm was 5 of 6 for 120 yards, 4 first downs. He did throw that one interception, but he also had a touchdown. And that, the one touchdown was actually a, a great throw. His best throw of the game. It was a perfect back shoulder toss to Riley Ridley from 19 yards out. And it was basically indefensible. The corner actually had pretty good coverage on it. And it was a perfect throw. Good timing route to Riley Ridley on the back shoulder throw. So Fromm did exactly what a good quarterback should have done against a bad Missouri defense at home. And it was even more impressive considering Georgia couldn't run the ball in the first quarter, which is shocking. You hear that. Georgia couldn't run the ball. You think Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle. Both of those guys combined for just three total rushing yards in the first 15 minutes of that game. So Fromm picked the Tigers apart, especially in that first quarter. I will say, though, Missouri did not make it very difficult on Jake Fromm. I haven't seen cornerbacks play so far off the wide receiver since Oklahoma against Baylor back in 2014. I mean, Missouri's defensive scheming was really bad. And honestly, I think Georgia should have gained even more yards in that game and scored even more points which is saying something because Georgia racked up almost 700 yards of offense and 53 points. I mean, they could have had more. It's it's just they they decided not to or, or what. But still, Georgia's offense, you know, I've I've I haven't been very high on Georgia's offense since we've been talking a lot of Georgia since we found out Oklahoma was playing the Bulldogs. But I think the offense gets a, gets a lot of credit because the Bulldogs averaged nine yards per play in that game, and on average, Missouri's defense has allowed 5.7 yards per play this year. By comparison, OU's defense is pretty close to that Missouri number. The Sooners' D is allowed 5.6 yards per play. So Georgia put up nine yards per play against a defense that has a very similar yards per play average as Oklahoma. But what's the main reason why I wanted to watch Georgia-Missouri? Especially for the first game, I really wanted to dive into Georgia. Why, of course? I wanted to watch Missouri's offense against Georgia's defense. Because statistically, the Tigers were the best offense Georgia's defense saw all season long. And probably the closest offense to Oklahoma in terms of scheming that Georgia has faced. So the raw numbers for Missouri don't look all that great in this one. Only 312 total yards. 253 through the air. 59 on the ground. Just 59 yards rushing. But... On a yards-per-play basis, Missouri wasn't terrible. The Tigers only had the football for 20 minutes in time of possession, so only had the ball for 20 minutes of game time. Therefore, Missouri only ran 49 plays, which was their lowest total of the season by far. Still, though, Missouri averaged 6.3 yards per play. And So to put that into context, here are the teams who have held Missouri to less than 6.3 yards per play so far this year. South Carolina, 6.1 yards per play, and that was... In Columbia, Missouri, Purdue, 
3.9 yards per play held Missouri to in Missouri as well. And then Auburn, another good SEC defense, held Missouri to 4.8 yards per play, and that game also was at Missouri. So in three home games, Missouri was off, Missouri's offense was actually worse against three different teams other than Georgia. So those were all earlier in the year. They were consecutive games, and, and only one of those defenses qualifies as a top-tier unit. Of course, that's Auburn's. Anyways, point being, point being, Georgia's defense didn't completely shut down Missouri, and the Tigers were within striking distance until the third quarter when Missouri's offense started to play like garbage. And I've got two plays that I want to point out in this game where Missouri's offense failed to convert on third down, where I think a team like Oklahoma would have been able to convert. But before I get to those, Grant, I'll let you jump in in case you have any thoughts that you'd like to, to throw in there based on what I just said about the, the Georgia-Missouri game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's... You might be onto something there. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. So, so what? One of the things I really did um, notice about that game was, especially looking at numbers and stuff too, that Georgia really hasn't faced any any high powered passing offenses this year. I mean, that's that that's not hyperbole. They really haven't. Um, they. they the they have not really faced any sort of challenges in, in terms of quarterbacks well, being able to push the Missouri. ball. Missouri, Missouri is, and yes, I know Missouri is the only one. And Missouri had some success throwing the ball down the field. In fact, they actually they completed a couple long touchdown passes um, where their where the receivers got you know got behind the defense fairly easily. So you know Missouri was able to to expose some warts in in, in some places. Um, you guys know I love S and P. I did just want to bring it up. Uh, Georgia or uh, Missouri and, and Oklahoma's defense per S and P is basically identical. Uh, Missouri is ninety third in S and P defense. The Sooners are ninety fifth. Um, Missouri is sixtieth in success rate. The Sooners are fifty eighth. Um, the, the the big thing with these two teams is the explosive plays. There, the, both teams are absolutely killed by explosive plays. So their their defense is that you know on a play on a play to play uh, basis they're they're kind of right smack dab in the middle of the country but they just they have a propensity for giving up big plays and you know that's that's kind of how Georgia scored against you know Missouri just really big plays you know you you, you would you would mention that they they kind of struggled to to run the ball in the first quarter I, I don't think it would surprise anybody if the Sooners come out in the Rose Bowl and defend the run really well but at, at first because they actually did that against Oklahoma State also. Um, but then as the game wore on, they, they kind of got gashed more and more. So, you know, every game is its own separate thing. And I, I know we're, we're going to pick apart these games over and over, but I think it'd be foolish to look at one game and, and you know, one example and say, this is why they're going to win, or this is why, and I know that's not exactly what you're doing, but as we, I, I just want to give a word of caution to anyone who might be breaking down this game, because, you know, it, it's a long month breaking out. And I, and I know that our, our mind does weird things to, you know, to prepare ourselves to, or to watch this game and, and just because we're bored and we want the game to come. So I, I would just make sure that we treat, you know, all 13 games that both of these teams has played as an entire body of work because over time it does matter. And there's been games this year where the Sooners have played like garbage and still won. Um, and, you know, there's games where they've played really well and won. And, you know, so we, we always project OU as the team that plays really, really well uh, we always think they're going to play as well as they've as they've played in their best game of the season, and we don't assume the same for Georgia. So I, that's that's all I want to say. And it's interesting well, for mean, sure. These these are two really good teams. That, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, sure, every game is different, but I'm you point out. I mean, you try to look for similarities, and 
I mean, even Oklahoma in Oklahoma's biggest games, they've played well in all of them. Oklahoma's like Oklahoma has yet to not show up for a game against a team that they were supposedly maybe going to lose to. Every one of those games, they played pretty well, especially on offense. So yeah, there's no, no reason I, to believe I, I that Oklahoma is not going to be able to show. Like if they if they don't show up, that would be surprising. So you can only base it off of trends and. When you look at Georgia, I mean, that you can say the same thing for Georgia with the exception of a game against Auburn where that was a go-either-way game and they got absolutely destroyed by Auburn. So, I mean, in, in a game where they absolutely, you know, I guess they didn't need to win it clearly because they lost and still made the playoff. In a game that was huge, they didn't show up and they got destroyed, whereas Oklahoma showed up in every one of their games and they've won all of their games that were go-either-way go games. So, I, you know, again, I haven't done a whole – I'm going to do a lot more research – but I'm trying to take the emotion out of it, and it, you know, eyeball test and stats. I trust stats more than uh, that. I, I trust the eyeball test a lot more than stats. And I know I gave out some numbers with yards per play, things like that. And you know, to your point, I could easily make another argument separately of like, yeah, Georgia gave up 6.3 yards per play against Missouri, which Missouri has been held lower than that by three other different teams. But I could also say, if I want to counteract my own argument, well, Georgia picked up a hundred and, or I'm sorry, Missouri picked up a hundred and thirty or hundred and thirty or so of their offensive yards on two plays, two long touchdowns, and take away those two long touchdowns, their yards per play is garbage. Obviously, it's very low. So take away two plays, and Georgia's defense was great against Missouri. So I mean, I'll, I'll acknowledge that. I'll acknowledge that that you that not every single stat. And not every single angle you're coming at, coming at it from, is going to make a lot of sense. Sure. So I, I guess, I guess what, where I take issue with with what you, so you're saying you're trying to take emotion out of it. I don't understand how you can say that the Sooners are going to win fairly comfortably and not have any emotion in that whatsoever. Because I think if you're using the eye test and if you're being emotionless. There's no reason to believe that Georgia is not going to go up and down the field on this OU defense. That just well, why not? No, like I mean, I I I think there's there's more of a chance that Oklahoma's defense. And again, this is without me doing a whole lot of film watching yet, but based on what I know about Oklahoma's defense and Mike Stoops' defensive coordinator and what I've seen on the field this year between Oklahoma's offense and Georgia's offense, I think there's a more of a chance of Oklahoma's defense having success slowing Georgia's offense than. Georgia's off Georgia's defense slowing Oklahoma's offense and sure because of based on based on what we've seen in the past with Mike Stoops game planning against offenses that frankly aren't big 12 offenses and don't do a whole lot of unique crazy things that make it difficult for the Sooners players and they're thinking too much and they don't know where to go instead they're just lining up and saying let's play football 11 on 11 in the past Mike Stoops has had a pretty good track record of a, a game planning against offenses like that. I, I'm just I sure, but I, I think when we're when we're talking about this game, especially now, we got to take the conferences conferences out of it. It's it's irrelevant where we are right now, Lee. And I, I, I when I look at the eye test and I look at the last time an OU the OU defense went up against an offense that had this many talented players, they were in Stillwater and they gave up 52 points and over 600 yards. So I, but the thing is, Oklahoma's defense has changed immensely since that game. And the reason why they gave up so many yards is because of their poor defensive back play, which they've made changes, and the defensive backs have played better. I mean, they're not elite by any stretch of the imagination, but 
the Oklahoma defense is certainly a lot better than that than they played in that game. And also remember, after halftime, they only allowed two touchdowns to Oklahoma State. No, I, I think I, here's where I, and I think maybe a lot of Sooner fans are falling into this trap. I, I think, and it's only been like almost two weeks now, but I don't fall into the trap of convincing yourself that this defense is good. Don't do I'm it. not saying it's good. It's it's, I'm it's saying st- that this it's, is this is still this is still a bad OU defense. It reminds me a lot of last year. Oklahoma's it's it's the same exact thing. I mean, it's improved in the last part of the season, and then against Auburn in the Sugar Bowl, it played pretty darn well. After you know three four weeks of preparation, and Auburn's offense is not a traditional offense. It's kind of a unique, creative, gimmicky offense. And granted, Auburn's offense did not have as many good players as Georgia's off Georgia's offense does currently this Georgia so I'll give you that this Georgia offense better at every position every player on this Georgia offense is better than every player on that Auburn offense from last year everyone sure. especially yeah, a quarterback. I'll, I'll give you that Jake J- Jake Fromm, in terms of pure throwing ability is the second best quarterback that the Sooners are going to play this year that's um yes it's Mason See, Rudolph and then Jake they Fromm. They didn't face Will Greer. So. so, yes. Jake, Jake Fromm is very capable. Jake Fromm is is very capable of throwing for 300 yards and four touchdowns on this defense. Do not yeah, go no, into this is. game thinking he's but not. The thing is, but the thing is, where does Oklahoma's secondary give up all the yards? Whenever there's a bunch of split-out wide receivers and there's a bunch of different routes and they don't know what to do. Georgia doesn't really do that. Georgia just runs no, basic I think out routes. I think you're falling into go that. routes. I, I think you're falling into a trap. Grant, there. I'm, I don't I'm think just that telling matters. you what I've seen on film. I've watched Georgia play a lot this year. I've watched Oklahoma play a lot this year. I'm just telling you what I've seen on film. And, and I mean, I've, I'm not saying I'm not saying Oklahoma's defense is good, but I'm saying that Georgia's offense is it, Georgia's offense can be really good, but it's all based on we have better players than you. We're going to line up and beat you. Whereas if they were more creative, they could be a lot better. But my point is, Oklahoma's defense plays a lot better against boring, non-creative offenses, with the exception of the Wildcat, which I, Georgia I just, will have in its back pocket. I just do not. I, I don't accept the the narrative that they're a boring old SEC offense. That's not true. It's just not true. That's what I've. That's what I see on film. That's it, what I've it's seen. Not. This is this is a dynamic offense. They have a lot of dynamic Based on playmakers. What? dynamic in the sense that they they have have good players. Yes, they have good players. That's my point. But they don't do anything special with these players. They give them the football. They say, hey, here's the ball. Go make a play. Yeah, because Oklahoma State was doing a lot of special things when they were just running go routes and burning the defense every single time. Oklahoma State runs a lot of different route combinations. They run hurry-up offenses. And they have a... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's quirky and different. Georgia doesn't run a whole lot of tempo. Oklahoma State can do that. They like to do that and change things up. And they throw it a lot more. And Oklahoma's not very good against the pass. I just, yeah, I, I'm. Georgia, Georgia has one of the fifteen best offenses in the country. This is a top fifteen offense. It's undeniable. No, 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 it no, is. No, no, no. It absolutely is. And I, as of right now, I will say that's that's wrong. I might change my mind in two weeks, but I think that's that's not true. And so I, I just, if you think they this, have they it, have a, a it, top fifteen talent, but their actual offense. Again, I'm telling you, it's all based on what they do offensively, and it's not that special. A top 15 offense would have not gotten shut down by Auburn. Okay, Auburn a top has, 15 Auburn offense would have been defense. able to score more points on Lee, Notre not, Dame. Lee, not every team is OU. They're just not. And so it, I, I'm, I, I guess don't go into this game thinking Georgia has an average offense. They don't. It's, it's very good. It's I'm not very saying it's good. average. It's a I'm very good offense. I'm saying that you're – 
at, at from what I've seen, you're you're really pumping it up more than than it really is. I'm not and pumping granted, it up. I'm just saying going up against this OU defense is bad. It this is o, this OU defense can can play well against this Georgia de, against this Georgia offense and still give up 400 yards and 30 points. Just they can. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I mean if if Oklahoma's defense plays well, they can still Auburn's give up 30 get, points and Auburn's, 400 yards. Auburn, no, if, if OU's defense plays well, they're not going to give up 400 yards and give up 30 points to this Georgia team. I guarantee you that. I guarantee Because if Oklahoma's defense plays well, I'm confident Oklahoma's offense is going to be able to score. Georgia's going to be behind the eight ball quick. And it'll be even easier for Oklahoma's defense to kind of gear up against the pass. Uh, this, is, this is the best offense that the Sooners have seen since that game against Oklahoma State. Uh, prob- I mean, honestly, probably the best offense, uh, probably the third best offense they've played this year. After, after uh, Oklahoma State and Ohio State, uh, this this Georgia offense is it's very it's the best offense in the SEC. It's it's very good. This was I I, I keep saying it. This was this was the worst matchup for OU uh, out of all the teams. Oh, well, Alabama would have been, but that you know I I guess see I've I've already talked myself into you know feeling worse about the game over this because I I I, I, I <laughs> and I know it doesn't matter when the fans feel this way but I I do feel like there amongst the OU fan base there's like a layer of disrespect to Georgia for some reason like this isn't one of the worst like this isn't the worst OU defense in the last twenty years like I I understand that this this offense is amazing but when they when they roll that defense out there and I I understand that they've played better the last three weeks. When they roll that defense out there, anyone can score forty points. So just I'm I'm not going to argue with you on that. I'm not going to argue with you on that. I'm just I, I go back to my point. I I think there's a the chances are Oklahoma's defenses have have a better chance of slowing Georgia's offense than Georgia's defense slowing Oklahoma's offense. That's just I think that's that's what I'm seeing right now. And until I see something on film or my research that changed my mind, I'll let you know. But that's that's what I've seen. Um, but back to this Missouri game, <laughs> and let's talk Oklahoma's offense against Georgia's defense because you talked to a lot of SEC fans, and you know I don't blame them. You know Georgia's they think Georgia's defense is really good, and Georgia's defense is going to be able to slow down Oklahoma and and prevent the Sooners from scoring a lot of points. And you know what, Georgia very may very well might. Georgia could. It's a good defense. It's a really good defense. Don't get me wrong. But there's two plays in that Missouri game from Missouri's offense that made me think wow Oklahoma's offense would have had no problems converting there and there were third down plays and so here's the first one it was it was a Missouri goes three and out on a possession sorry okay so Drew Locke on third and seven throws incomplete Georgia blitzes a middle linebacker which honestly Georgia didn't blitz a whole lot against Missouri Missouri has zero of their pass catchers go out and run a route towards the middle of the field they had twins left one guy ran a 10-yard out route. The other guy ran a go. They had twins to the right. Same exact thing happened. I'd like to think that, one, Oklahoma is way more creative in its route concepts on third down. And, two, even if Oklahoma's not, Mayfield would realize the middle of the field is wide open and check it or dump it off over the middle of the field to a running back or call for a C.D. Lamb slant. I couldn't believe they didn't have at least one receiver just – having like a safety valve slant route in the middle of the field, which would have been an easy gain for a first down. So that's that's one example of where Missouri's offense was just not anywhere near as good as Oklahoma's offense. And this one's even more egregious. 
Third quarter, third and two at their own 33-yard line. Granted, Missouri's trailing by three scores at this point, so it's not really that close of a game, but it's the first time Missouri's moving the ball in the third quarter. Third and two, Missouri goes bunch trips to the right side, which is the wide side of the field, so plenty of room to work with. Georgia looks like they're in man. However, the three defensive backs assigned to the bunch of the wide receivers are playing well off the line of scrimmage. We're talking six yards, seven yards, and three yards off the line of scrimmage from the slot guy. This should be really easy. The inside wide receiver runs about a two, three-yard out route while the other two guys clear out by running a go. But what happens? Drew Locke decides to lock onto his wide receiver on the short side of the field on the backside who was in press man coverage, and he throws a low percentage slant pass that's broken up easily. Meanwhile, the bunch trip set on the wide side of the field, literally all of them just ran straight up the field. Not one of them ran an easy safety valve type route for three yards to move the chains. And once again, this was the wide side of the field, so there's tons of room to work with. I'm telling you right now, OU's offense will not be this incompetent against Georgia. If Georgia is giving that much cushion on third and short, it'll be pretty much automatic for Baker Mayfield and the Sooners to convert a first down. No doubt about it. And those are just two plays that I thought, wow, if, if Missouri's offense actually was really good, they would have easily converted third downs there, and they just couldn't do it. Yeah, I, I think that's actually one of the one of the areas where OU, especially when I go back and watch their their games this year on offense, where I think it, it's really been next level is is the route combinations. I they, they they have NFL level route combinations that they run, and that's just uh, that's one of the positives of having uh, such an experienced quarterback like Baker Mayfield, uh, like that being able to run concepts like that. He he can understand them and. Um, I'm curious uh, because I I did see something similar to you when I was watching a lot. Georgia looks to be really vulnerable over the middle of the field, like kind of right where Mark Andrews really likes to make a living. Um, So I seriously, they they look very vulnerable over the middle of the field. So uh, that that was one of the things I did want to bring up. Um, Second, I I really, the more that I watch Georgia's defense, the more I think that the Sooners are going to have a lot of success running the ball. Um, so I don't mean this as a slight to Georgia's defense at all, um, but just in the little bit I've watched so far, only a couple of players on defense really stand out to me. Obviously, the number one guy who stands out to me is Roquan Smith. He's really good. He's, he's the best linebacker the Sooners have seen all year, uh, hands down, it's not even close. Uh, the other guy who jumps off to me is is Lorenzo Carter. He's an outside linebacker. He's a big, long guy. Um, if, if they do have any sort of pass rushing threat, he's the guy. Um, as a team overall, they, they don't rush the passer particularly well. Um, they don't really have any guys up front who are going to wow you and and, and beat double teams or anything like that. Um, this really is a defense that just kind of leans on their, on their junior middle linebacker, Roquan Smith, and they just don't really make a lot of mistakes. Um, they don't let a lot of guys behind them. They, um, they were they were fifth in the country this year in allowing explosive plays on defense. So they they just really don't make a lot of mistakes, and they have good athletes on defense. So I, I I'm really curious to see you know how they're going to come out and defend Oklahoma's uh, offense. I I haven't seen a, a a ton of different personnel groupings for them. I didn't and the little I've watched of them, I, I could be wrong here. I'm going to watch a lot more. Obviously, I don't see them in nickel a lot. I see them in a base defense quite a bit. Um, I, I, I generally only see them with four defensive backs on the field. Lee, if you see anything different, let me know. Um, no, no. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they are pretty base. I mean, they don't really, at least against Missouri in that one game. And again, Missouri's a team that spreads it out. They have a spread offense. I mean, Josh Heupel is their OC. And 
And so it was very I, I was surprised by Georgia's defense, their scheme. I thought it'd be a lot more aggressive, kind of like what Wisconsin does, like where Wisconsin plays a lot of press man coverage, challenges their defensive backs a lot up the middle line of scrimmage, especially against I mean, really anybody. Didn't see that as much with Georgia, which I was very surprised and, and I'm curious to watch more film and see if that's how they always play or if that was just just exclusive to the Missouri game. Yeah, I mean, I, I I suppose we'll see. I mean, I've just based off of things that I've read online the last week or so, just getting a profile on Georgia. I, um, and and this does jive with what I've seen on film. They they really don't blitz a lot. That that is not something that they do a, a lot at all. They they do run a three four, so they they kind of have um, they can be pretty creative with how they bring pressure with the two outside linebackers. Um, and, and they actually, they actually do have the personnel to fit, or at least they have the outside linebackers to fit that three, four scheme. They have the guys who can hold the edge. I don't know if they really have that, that big nose tackle like figure who can, who can, uh, uh, who can swallow up blocks on the inside. I mean, they, they, they do have a good run defense. So obviously it's, it's working for them this season. Um, but I, I, I'm just, I really do think that OU is going to be able to lean on their defensive line and, and run the ball. I, I, I'm, I'm just, I don't see a ton of tackles in the backfield. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's playing teams like Notre Dame and, and Missouri and stuff like that too. I saw in the Notre Dame game, I saw um, Notre Dame's offensive line dominate Georgia and pass protection. Um, Brandon Wibush had all day to throw in that game, missed a lot of really big throws, uh, that, that could have been scores. So, and obviously this, I mean, that was in September. So a lot of film to go through. So I, Georgia's not invincible. They have, they have holes. They certainly do. And they have a true freshman quarterback. So this is obviously a game that's there for the taking for the Sooners. Um, but it, it, it's going to take a lot of work in the film room and, um, they're going to have to play their best game of the season. Here are my final big takeaways from that Georgia-Missouri game and what pertains to Oklahoma and Georgia coming up in the Rose Bowl. Oklahoma's offense is much, much better than Missouri's offense. Drew Locke wasn't pressured all game, and Georgia didn't even sack him one time. And Georgia's defensive backs played a lot softer coverage than I would have expected an elite defense like Georgia to play. For example, TCU in Texas plays a lot more press-type coverage at the line of scrimmage, and so does Ohio State. And that kind of defense is more difficult to deal with, in my opinion. Puts a lot more pressure on the wide receivers and quarterback to make correct reads and make plays. Also, Georgia's offense has the ability to be very good. Like I said earlier, they have the ability to be very good. It's all based on talent, though. Nothing incredibly creative. Just we will hand the ball to our playmaking running backs and let them make plays. And we can also drop back our talented quarterback and let him make accurate throws. Mainly on one read plays. I mean, that's, that's what I saw Georgia's offense do against Missouri. Granted, that was in October. They played a lot more games since then, and I think a, the games closer to now mean a lot more than the games that happened earlier in the year. That's why I honestly might not even watch the Notre Dame game because I don't think it matters right now. Just like how the, the Oklahoma-Ohio State game, Georgia probably will watch that. Georgia fans will watch that and think, ah, that's so long ago, it doesn't really matter that much. Um you know, I could be wrong, but it just it happened so long ago. The teams have changed, although I will say I think Oklahoma's offense has gotten better than that Ohio State game. And the defense was great in that game, but the, uh, the defense has gotten worse, um, but has come on lately. So that's the OU Georgia portion, at least for now. I do have some more film time with, with Lee, though. Film time with Lee. Film time with Lee. That's what I'm calling it. I think that's a good name. And I got to say... 
me find. Let's here we go. Uh, we got we've gotten letters, Grant. You know, I, I you know we've gotten emails from from fans at the show, and they really want us to do breakdown. And a lot of you emailed suggestions for what we should do for the show during this long bowl season layoff. And one of the most popular suggestions was to do more film breakdown. So two things I got to say about that. One, I'm happy that you all enjoy the film breakdown segments. I hope that you found them to be informative and also kind of different. You know, you don't get a whole lot of X's and O's talk on regular sports radio shows and podcasts and things like that. And number two, I really enjoy doing the film breakdown stuff. So I'm, I'm happy to do more of these. I mean, I'm, I'm a football junkie. I That's why I love football so much. I love the X's and O's. I love the idea that a coach... A really good coach and really good players can sit down and watch film of an opposing team and figure out where they can attack that team and have success. And I think that's why football is so cool compared to other sports. So here's my play that I've decided to go and break down today. It's from the Oklahoma-Ohio State game, actually. I was just talking about this. Second quarter, the 10-20 mark. Ohio State's leading 3 to nothing. It's second and 14 from Oklahoma's own 25-yard line. And on the previous play, Baker Mayfield got sacked. Now, I've picked this play because it's a great example of, of Lincoln Riley designing a creative concept in order to beat tight man-to-man coverage. Ohio State challenged its cornerbacks a lot to come up and make plays against Oklahoma, especially their receivers. And, well, until the Missouri game I watched, I expected top-level SEC defenses like Georgia's to do the same thing against the Sooners. Maybe Georgia will not do as much tight man coverage as I thought they would, but in case Georgia does, this play shows you know, how Lincoln Riley is so creative and, and how he's able to get positive yardage whenever a defense is playing hyper-aggressive and playing tight man coverage. So here we go. If you have this game on your DVR, if you're on YouTube, pause the podcast, bring it up, go to that 10-20 mark in the second quarter, second and 14, follow along. Grant, I anticipate you doing this right now, I'm sure. Oh, well, you know it. <laughs> so here we go. OU comes out with twins to the right. Jeff Bidette is the widest guy, is the Z receiver off the line of scrimmage. Off the line of scrimmage, that's important. To his left is Grant Calcaterra, who's on the line of scrimmage. He's on the line of scrimmage, okay? So on the opposite side of the formation is CeeDee Lamb. He's split out wide as the X receiver. And Dimitri Flowers is lined up as an H-back, slightly to the left and behind left tackle Orlando Brown. Now, Baker Mayfield is in the shotgun. He's got Trey Sermon two yards behind him and offset to the left. OU runs a lot of RPOs, run pass options, and this play is indeed an RPO. Mayfield has the ability to give the ball to Sermon, keep it and run the ball himself, or pull it and throw the football. And on this play, Mayfield decides to pull it and throw, and he does that because of what Ohio State's defense is showing him, pre-snap. Mayfield sees all three of his receivers covered by press man coverage. Plus, the Buckeyes are showing blitz with two linebackers straight up the middle. So effectively, Ohio State's got six men at or near the line of scrimmage. Additionally, Mayfield sees the Buckeyes with just one safety over the top. Just one safety over the top. And another defensive back, number seven, Damon Webb, is lined up like a linebacker. But clearly, he's assigned with covering Dimitri Flowers in man coverage so if all of this information locked in baker mayfield brings jeff Bidette in motion from right to left number three damon arnett follows Bidette. he was lined up with Bidette. so if there was any doubt that this was man coverage this erases all doubt now as arnett was lined up on Bidette from the start as i just said the ball is snapped right as Bidette is crossing mayfield's face and the ball almost hits Bidette. unfortunately it didn't 
Mayfield gathers the snap, fakes to Sermon, and then quickly swings it out to Bidette, who is now tasked with making a play and beating his man one-on-one. We all know Bidette's speed. I'm taking Bidette in that situation every time. And in this instance, the corner Arnett can't catch up with Jeff Bidette, lunges for the tackle, and Bidette just runs right by up the field for 29 yards, the biggest play of the game up to that point for the Sooners. A couple of aspects of this play that I love, just absolutely love. The entire offensive line gives a run look, which by that I mean all the offensive linemen, including Dimitri Flowers, block for a run play to Trey Sermon. Oh, you can get away with that and also then pass the ball because Mayfield's throw to Bidette is completed behind the line of scrimmage. So if a pass is completed behind the line of scrimmage, it's legal to have blockers down the field. Because of that, CeeDee Lamb is able to block his man pretty closely after the ball is snapped. So you've got big-bodied CeeDee Lamb blocking a corner downfield, freeing up more space for the speedy Bidette to gain yardage. This play ultimately is made by using motion to get Bidette in space which is a great way to counteract man coverage. Sure, the corner Arnett could have made a fantastic play and closed out on Jeff Bidette and tackled him for a loss or a minimal game, but the odds were in Bidette's favor, and it worked out for the Sooners on this play. All because of creative thinking and understanding of how to beat man-to-man defense by the one and only Lincoln Riley. And with that, film time with Lee is over. That was really good, Lee. Actually, seriously impressed. That was really good for not like actually for not being able to follow along with like, uh, you know, with like software and stuff like that. I thought that was really well done. Um, I do want to add something to that, and it's more of just like a just a thought. Lincoln Riley is. I, I'm. I don't know if I've ever been more confident of. Let, let's say this. Lincoln Riley inspires the same sort of confidence in me that, uh, in terms of being prepared for a game that Peyton Manning used to when he was the quarterback of the Colts. I, I, I honestly do believe that Lincoln Riley is going to have a plan for everything. Um, for I, I think Lincoln Riley is going to have a plan for, for any sort of defense that Georgia is going to run out there. I, I really think he and he's going to have routes and concepts designed to get people open no matter what defense is thrown at him. Um, and it also helps that they have a bunch of veteran uh, really talented athletic guys running his, his system. That makes it even harder. And another thing that makes it harder is that they have the best offensive line in the country too. What Lincoln Riley can do in, in the passing game with these concepts, as long as the offensive line gives gives Baker Mayfield time, is devastating. It's devastating. So it th- this offense, when it when it's humming, when everyone is playing well, is really a sight, uh, really a sight to be uh, just – it's just a lot of fun to watch. And I, I liked how you brought up CD there with blocking. And I don't know if we've mentioned it yet on this on this podcast. CD Lamb is like a borderline weapon blocking downfield. He's he it seems like he's that good of a blocker on the edge. I just wanted to bring that up and I, I think uh which which is a very underrated part of your game if you're gonna be a receiver. I just think it's cool. Yeah, he's a complete player. And for a freshman, he's only gonna get better and he's a team guy. And he's learned a lot, and he's he's gotten better throughout the year. And he's just, you know, he's he's the freshman that you and I, and not just you and I, most Oklahoma Sooner fans thought would be an impact offensive freshman, and he's been fantastic. So, C.D. Lamb, certainly an X factor. But even if even if he doesn't do a whole lot in the game, even if he, even if he disappears, like he technically disappeared in the Big Twelve Championship game, OU's got other weapons that can step in for C.D. Lamb. Very, very now, good on, pointly. Oh, I, I, well, you cut me off there. I was going to go, but... Oh, 
Ah, My mistake. Go ahead. Uh, well, so we we have this new segment. Or I guess it was new last week, and and I'm I'm doing the intro this week, and Lee just wants to you know he wants to step on my celebration, I guess. So, anywho, we're now on a listener question segment, guys. Today it's more of like a listener comment instead of a question. Uh, you may remember Lee got super angry early last week about the college football playoff having only four teams. Went on to say that anybody who thinks the playoff is perfect with just four teams is basically an idiot, which is obviously very offensive. Lee, that's pretty much what you said, right? Yeah, that's what I said. Okay. Verbatim. Well, uh, it's a good thing we have listeners who are obviously offended by what you had to say. And uh, Chris sent us, an, <laughs> and of course I say that tongue in cheek, Chris sent us an email. He's a guy who actually liked college football even before the BCS system. Um, and so that's way before my day. So by the way, Chris, thanks for emailing. We really do appreciate it. Um, we get very excited when we get emails and, and we're starting to get a lot of them from you guys and we, we really do appreciate it. Um, Chris has sent us a few, a few, jeez, I can't even talk today, guys. He sent us a few emails so far. We really appreciate it. Next time you write in, please include your city so we can better identify you. And anyway, here's what Chris had to say. I am a 51-year-old, uh, okay, jeez, guys, I can't talk today. See, this is what, this is, <laughs> this is what happens on Tuesdays. And see, I'm, uh, we're, I, I'm a pro, I'm a professional. See, normally so we do these shows on going. Wednesdays. And it's that's what it is. It's it's the Tuesday. It's messing you up. All right. So I hope you guys are just laughing, laughing at me in your car or something like that. Anywho, here's what Chris had to say in the email that he sent us last week. I am 51 years old, and the first OU game I consciously remember is the 1973 OU USC game. Been a huge fan ever since, so endured many years of the pre-BCS. When the BCS came out, I was initially excited about it, but after a few years, I really missed the old system. Under the old system, New Year's Day was absolutely epic. The drama as it unfolded throughout the day could be mesmerizing. Almost every game may have an impact on the final national champion. There were times a number one and number two team might be upset, or maybe one loss and the other didn't look as good, and it would open it up for the number three or number four ranked team. If you were ranked in the top five, you had a shot if things went your way that day. For me, it created a lot more drama than the BCS and even what we have now. Under the BCS, only two teams could win it during bowl season, but those may not even be the two best teams. It's a little better now, but I do miss that one single day determining, granted by the voters, who the national champion was going to be instead of just spending the following week arguing about it. Riveting theater. Great fun and good times. By the way, I expect to change. Uh, I, I expect to change absolutely no one's mind with my argument for the old antiquated system. Just giving a perspective from uh, I am that guy. Uh, having said that, if we are going to have a playoff, then eight teams is, is is the way to go. Five conference champs and three at large. The three at large encourages teams to schedule a challenging non-conference game in an effort to build up resume. That's a point I've made numerous times. Chris is a smart man. If you insist on four, then let's go to five conference champs with the weakest one being left at home. And then at least everyone understands the criteria ahead of time. I, I mean, I, a lot of this, I, I, I sort of, I guess I didn't know that everything happened on New Year's Day back in the day. And, and I, I will concede that sounds pretty awesome. Um, I, I think it's, it, it'd be pretty awesome if we had exactly that except in a playoff format, and so we kind of had everything going that day. But, but I, I absolutely understand the appeal uh, of that old system. That, that does sound exciting, and think about it. What if you're the number one team in the country and you're, you're just in your bowl tie-ins, and it's like, oh, I have to beat just like the number 10 team in the country to win the national title. I mean, that's kind of awesome if you think about it. Not necessarily the greatest you know, sporting competitive thing, but it, 
it'd be fun to beat the number 10 team in the country to win the national title. Would it not? Well, one, yeah, I'm with you. I didn't know it was like that either before the BCS era. I didn't know that all these New Year's Day games that Chris referenced would potentially have an impact on who won the national championship. And like Chris mentioned in his his statement that it was based off of voters. I mean, after all the games were played, then everyone voted, and then whoever was voted number one won the national championship. Now, I just think, though, Chris, imagine that scenario, all those amazing games on that, that January 1st or, you know, imagine that, though, all those amazing games in, like, a, a sim, uh, no, not sim, like maybe, like, a, an Elite Eight slash, like, second round of a playoff weekend where you have all these amazing games and the winners then move on to another weekend of more amazing games. And then that goes on to another weekend of you know fewer teams, but then a couple more amazing games. And then that then we're down to a champion, a championship where there's two teams that have played their way into this championship, like a playoff. And then it's even more interest, uh, more exciting. So you got me just you got me hanging on the edge of my seat, Lee. Just dynamite just, job there, dynamite yeah, job. Based just, on the way I'm talking, just I I've. I don't think I've ever envisioned your vision for the 2014 college football playoff better than I do right now. Hats off to you on that just riveting explanation of your vision. I appreciate it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought I explained that quite well with my dramatic pauses and my kind of wild, crazy tone. I feel like so, yeah, you, I, I feel like you might want to cut your losses and uh, and move on. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm with you though, Chris. You know, if if they're gonna go to eight and that's where they want to go to, sure. It's just I'm of the mind that eight still is not enough. I mean, why limit yourself to eight when it could be so much better with more? But eight is better than four, just like how four was better than two, and I think twenty four would be better than eight. And sure, the argument to me then, well, what about sixty four? What about you know what? And that's a legitimate counter argument to my point of more is always better and i will concede that point but i i go with 24 teams because we know the fcs does it at 24 and it seems to work just fine for them and if the fcs ever decides to go to more than 24 for some reason and it works for them you know what more than 24 sounds even better because there's a lot of teams that make the NCAA basketball tournament and the only time anybody ever watches the NCAA tournament or the NCAA uh the only time anybody ever watches basketball really college basketball is in march because of that and if only 16 teams made the NCAA tournament, there wouldn't be as much interest in that. Oh, But anyways, that's the listener comment slash listener question segment. Hope you enjoyed it. Should we now move on to our segment where we pick six of the 39 bowl games? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great idea. And I'm shocked by this uh, this record that you've had the last couple of weeks and your overall season record. You've, you've kind of cleaned up recently in picking I, games. I... I, I probably should have done a better job of explaining this but i i mean i am a i am a college football savant i know what i am talking about when i finally get the pulse of a season just i there's no stopping me mm -hmm. that's all i gotta say i was okay. i was i was Are five i was five and oh during championship week everybody and i think i was five and oh the week before that and i can't it's just it, it's too easy baby it's too easy wait i was three and two you were for championship week yeah didn't you did, did you pick usc or stanford um, I picked Stanford. You picked Stanford. Yeah, so you were three and two. Sit down. Yeah. Well, Wisconsin covered though, so that, that counts for something. That's and not so Stanford. That's not how we're playing. Yeah, I know. 
All right, what are the games this week? Oh, I'm I'm going through them. I suppose I was the one who did the. Well, rundown. you can start with the first one. I guess yeah. I just I I love bowl games. I I just I do for some reason. I just like college football, so I don't mind them that much. Anyway, Lee, the very first bowl game we're gonna do is the very first one of the bowl season. That is Saturday at noon on ESPN. It is the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl. That is between the North Texas Mean Green and the Troy Trojans. Lee, Troy is a six and a half point favorite in this game. I'm asking you, who is going to win straight up? Troy's going to win. And these are two teams that have pretty good records. And I bet in a weird way, they're they're probably not that happy to be playing right away in bowl season. They, I bet both these teams kind of figured they'd get a, a bowl game a little later in bowl season. But uh, alas, they're playing at noon on Saturday in New Orleans. So at least it's going to have a cool place. I, I like Troy. I mean, their defense, from what I understand, is pretty darn good. And they're 10-2. and two. North Texas... I, I don't know if they're going to be able to score all the points that, that North Texas normally scores like they have this year, like with Mason Fine. So I'm, I'm going to take Troy to win this game. Also going to take Troy and lead. Uh, Sun Belt champ always plays in the New Orleans Bowl. Uh, that's who Troy is. So, I mean, come on, man. Oh, you should. Oh, oh, oh I should know that. It's the New Orleans Bowl has been the has been the first bowl of the bowl season for for damn near 20 years now. And the Sun Belt champ always plays in it. Am I uh, okay. am, am, am I crazy for noticing that or all right? I yeah, I had no idea it was always the Sun Belt champ. All right, Lee, I what's assume the Sun Belt champ would have gotten a better a better bowl game. So, all right, next game is also on Saturday. It's the Auto Nation Cure Bowl between Georgia State and Western Kentucky. And I believe this game. Where is this game being played? Um, you got you got you got to write down where these bowls are being played, Grant. Why? Because it's important. Why on earth is that important to know where the Cure Bowl is being played? Because, <laughs> like, what if what if a team can get more fans to go and it is watch in, the Cure Bowl? It is in Orlando, Florida, at Camping World oh, wow. Stadium. So that's like a true, that's a pretty big time uh, neutral site game. And also, uh, I I do want to make a note here. I, I wrote it wrong on the rundown, but uh, I, I wrote that Western Kentucky was a six and a half point favorite. It is actually Georgia State who is the six and a half point favorite. Nope, nope, nope. You uh, you had it wrong. I, I changed it. No, no. Western Kentucky's favored. They are favored. Okay, I'm sorry. I, yeah. I was I was going off of the ESPN app. Yeah, ESPN so. had it wrong. I don't know why ESPN blew that. They 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 had that totally wrong. Georgia State is definitely a six and a half point dog. Okay, my bad. Who are you picking? Uh, Western Kentucky's going to win. I, I I just like their. Western Kentucky quietly is has, has has made a pretty pretty decent program in the Conference USA. Um, you know, I, I I just don't know a lot about these teams, so I'm just going to go with the pedigree over Georgia State. Even though I know Georgia State's a fairly newer program, um, I, I'd assume they probably have a lot of good athletes, but but I think they run a like a wishbone style type offense. I honestly have no idea. I know Georgia State got destroyed by Penn State earlier this season. That's the only time I watched them play, and I think Georgia State's going to win. I'll, I'll I'll take the I'll take them to cover and I'll take them to win straight up. I think Georgia State's going to get their first ever bowl victory. You're a moron. Beat- You're a moron. Western Kentucky is going to win that game. How- Western Kentucky. Both teams are playing like garbage right now, and I think Georgia State wants to be there a lot more than Western Kentucky wants to. So I'm going to take Georgia State. All right. Point taken. Boise State and Oregon. Oh, do you have one more note on Georgia State? I didn't. I didn't have a note, but I was gonna. I was gonna say what the next bowl was, but you beat me to the punch. So just finish it. This is like the the bowl game of the the day, I guess. Uh, people have actually heard of these teams for the most part. Oregon and Boise State, a ranked team, is playing 
this Saturday. And even though Boise State's the 25th ranked team in the country, Oregon State's a seven and a half point favorite in the Las Vegas Bowl. And I'm not going to ask her where this bowl is located because I'm not that stupid. I like Oregon in this one, Grant. Who do you like? I also like Oregon. I, I originally had Boise State, but that was before I found out. You know, Oregon sort of dropped off the face of the earth this year when their quarterback, Justin Herbert, got uh, got injured. Well, he's back now, and I guess they're scoring like 55 points a game again now that he's back um, over the last two games. So I, I, I'll, I'll take, I'll take uh, Oregon. I, they were, I believe they were undefeated before he got hurt, and they kind of went in a nosedive, and he's back now. And Oregon, I guess, is a really good offense, even though they did just lose Willie Taggart. Uh, but Mario Cristobal taking over the program. He was already there, so there's some continuity there. Um, I'll take Oregon. And also, too, Mario Cristobal, again, yeah, taking over the program. I think the players really like him. And I get the sense from what I've read that Willie Taggart kind of left Oregon on bad terms. And that could actually be a positive for him being out of there as far as these players wanting to win for Cristobal in his debut. So even though they, they lose their head coach, I think that it, it, it at the very worst, it might just be a net neutral. And I, I have a feeling that Oregon's going to want to win it for their new coach. So I, that's why I like the Ducks as well. All right, Lee. Uh, the Gildan New Mexico Bowl. The New Mexico Bowl has been actually, it's kind of developed a reputation for being kind of a, kind of a crazy bowl over the last few years. There's been kind of some wild finishes in that one. Uh, that game is also on Saturday. It's at 3.30 in the afternoon. That is Marshall versus Colorado State. Colorado State is favored by five and a half. Lee, Marshall or Colorado State, who do you got? Of all the games that we're picking, these six games, this is the one that I really i am not as confident in than any of them. So I'm just going to take the favorite. I'll just take the Rams to beat Marshall because it's, it's closer to home for them. And I think Colorado State's a better team. I mean, Vegas thinks Colorado State's a better team, so I'll take I'll take Colorado State. Yeah, I, I'm going to take Colorado State too. Um, you know, I, I I'm just going to take the program that's honestly that's just that's closer to the site. Um, I I I think it's going to be easier for them to travel. Also, uh, Colorado State does have a they have an NFL type player in Michael Gallup, the receiver. Um, I, I'm not sure if Marshall has anyone up to that quality, so I'll, I'll just take kind of the, the, the dynamic threat on offense for Colorado State. All right, the next bowl is the Camellia Bowl. I wonder if I'm saying that right. The Raycom Media Camellia Bowl? Camellia it's, Bowl? It's the, I think it's Camellia, yeah. Camellia Bowl, and that's Saturday as well. It's a, it's a primetime Saturday matchup between Middle Tennessee and Arkansas State, and this game is in Montgomery, Alabama. I think Arkansas State's a pretty good team. I know Middle Tennessee's pretty close by, so they might have a little more fans there. But I'm going to take the Red Wolves. I like what I saw from them pretty recently when they they lost to – who did they lose to? It was um, the Sunbelt team that's in the uh, – Troy. Troy, yeah. They put up a lot, of, a lot of yards against a pretty good Troy defense. So I, I think Arkansas State's offense is pretty good. And it uh, could be a high-scoring game, and I'll, I'll take the Red Wolves to beat Middle Tennessee. Yeah, this could be one of those sneaky sort of entertaining games where there's no defense played. Middle Tennessee had had some pretty high hopes going into this season. Um, they, they had a, a four-year starter quarterback, Brent Stockstill. Um, he got hurt right at the beginning of the season. They've just been decimated by injuries. Stockstill's back now, so Middle Tennessee's playing a little better. Arkansas State, piloted by former OU quarterback Justice Hansen. He's having a great season. Um, I'll take Arkansas State in this game uh, just because I think I, – uh, Middle Tennessee is, is still hurt with injuries, and I know Stock still is back, but I'll, you know, Justice Hansen's been just a really, a really solid player for Arkansas State this year. Um, 
if everything else is equal, I'll, I'll, I'll take that over anything Middle Tennessee has. And finally, the sixth bowl game that will be happening before our next show, and that's why you just you chose these six games. This one's actually on Tuesday. The oh my, is this? I, I, I will pronounce. do it. Let me do it. Let me do it. This yeah. is great. <laughs> Greatest bowl name ever. It is the Sharabundi Tart Cherry Boca Raton Bowl. <laughs> oh my God! Sharabundi Tart Cherry, and then Boca Raton Bowl. So I think the sponsor is Cherubundi Tart Cherry. Cherubundi <laughs> well, yeah. Tart Cherry. Is that just like <laughs> a... Boca Raton's, yeah, a city. So it's just a cherry tart? Is that it? Cherry tarts are delicious. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But, I mean, and this is, ba- this, this is a home game because uh, it's Florida Atlantic and Akron. Yeah, yeah. Florida Atlantic's campus, I'm sure is is. I'm actually pretty sure it's in Boca Raton. I don't think the I don't think the game's actually on campus. I think the game is at the at the Marlins Giant hideously ugly stadium. Um, okay. Yeah, but yeah, this is Lee, this is a game. Florida Atlantic is favored by twenty two and a half. It, what a what a terrible bowl matchup. Uh, I mean, I'm going to take Florida Atlantic, and they'll probably cover too. Yeah, I I mean, Florida Atlantic's going to win this game because. I mean, they're going to want to send Lane Kiffin out in his first year with a with a big W, and and he's not afraid to run it up at Florida Atlantic. I will say Akron. I I think Akron's kind of awful, but I kind of like Akron at the same time because they were able to come back and cover against Toledo in the MAC championship game, backdoor side, which I uh, appreciated that for uh, you know a, a nice friendly wager I had on uh, between a, a friend and mine. So. Uh, every time I watched that game, because that was the same day as OU, TCU, all those other, it was championship weekend, obviously. I kept going back and forth, and every time I flipped over, it was Akron and Toledo, and Akron never even had the football once, and Toledo just kept increasing their lead, and I was like, wow. And it was like a 24-and-a-half-point spread, and somehow Akron in the second half under Terry Bowden just kept chipping away. The Zips kept chipping away, and they went ahead and went through that back door and covered. So I got to give some credit to Akron, but the Zips aren't going to beat Florida Atlantic. It's not going to happen. I mean, that would be a huge upset. That'd be the biggest upset of bowl season potentially. <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, it's probably this is probably the best, the biggest line. This has to be, be. The, has to be the biggest line. Absolutely, that's got to be the biggest bowl line in maybe ever. I mean, yeah, maybe not ever. More than but three it's, touchdowns. It, it's it's probably one of the highest. That's insane. I, I I have two more anecdotes, Lee, about about the the Sherabundi Tart Cherry Boca Raton Bowl. Ak- <laughs> Akron uh, Lee was the first uh, opponent that Baker Mayfield ever played as an Oklahoma Sooner. Um, that was his. Uh, that was the season opener in 2015 against Akron, and also Florida Atlantic Lee and Lane Kiffin will be visiting Norman, Oklahoma next season. The very first game of the season is against Florida Atlantic. It's a good Florida Atlantic team. They they return a lot of people. So if you want uh, an early preview of next year's season opener against Florida Atlantic, uh, tune into the Cherubundi Tart Cherry Boca Raton Bowl. <laughs> Lee Lane Kiffin and Chip Kelly coming to Norman next year. That's kind of interesting. I say, I mean, all of a sudden, Oklahoma's uh, non-conference schedule next year is doesn't look that easy. Yeah, I mean, Florida this, Atlantic is. It, I mean, those are. I mean, those would be some quality wins. Yeah, and after and after a few years uh, where this has not been the case, all of a sudden, I feel like OU's home schedule next year is is kind of like dynamite. Really good. At Florida Atlantic and UCLA are two good home non-conference games, and then of course Bedlam will be at home. Um, and I'm sure others that I'm that I'm forgetting as well, but really good home schedule. Mm-hmm. All right, I think uh, I think that's that's pretty good. I think that that about does it for uh, this this week's episode of West of Everest. 
thanks again for all of you bearing with us these these you know this week and next week as, as we await the college football playoff a reminder the next episode of west of everest will be next wednesday december the 20th and then our regular show schedule resumes on christmas with two shows per week that week until next wednesday for grant i am lee this is west of everest